Tishabov Tovshanain Gimel. We didn't think we'd still be here. When we put away our kinnis, our eicha last year, we thought that was it. Next year we don't need this anymore. And yet, we're still here. We're still sitting on the floor. We're still weeping. We have to understand why. In Kinnach of Dalet, when we say tomorrow, written by Rabbi Lezah Kali, the Kinnach says as follows, Al-Churban Beis HaMikdash Kihuras V'Chihudas Espoid B'chol Shona V'Shona Misbeid Chodosh Ala Kodesh V'Ala Mikdash What does this refer to when the Kinnach says Misbeid Chodosh, that every single year there's a new misbeid, there's a new hesper that we seem to be writing, that we seem to be saying every year on Tishabav. Rebeleza Kalir writes in the Kinnis, and we say it every year, that every single year, there's a misbeid chodosh, behold shona v'shona every single year, halavai. Halavai, every single year we were saying a new hesbud. Halavai, it meant more to us. Halavai, we had more feeling in our tefillahs and our eicha and our kinnas. Halavai, that every year it meant more to us. And we added something on. So what does it mean? What does it mean in the kinnas? Bechol shona v'shona, misbeid chodosh. What does that mean? We've been saying the same text for years and years and years. What's the misbeid chodosh? There's a medrash, famous medrash in Eicha, on the Pasuk, base, Farakalif, Bocha, Tichbe Balayla. What's Balayla? What does it mean, Balayla at night? Explains the medrash, a famous Yisoyed, Maisa Be'isha Ach Echod. There was a Maisa with a woman. She was in the neighborhood of Rabbi Gamliel. She lived close by Rabbi Gamliel, and she never lost one of her children. And she was crying. It was night. She was alone. She missed her child. She missed her dear child. And she was crying. Deep, deep sorrow. Real tears of crying to the Rabbi Shalom. She was in pain. Says the Medrash, Rabbi Gamliel heard her cries. Rabbi Gamliel at that moment remembered the Churban Beisamikdash and he cried Ima together with her. And the question is, why? Why, why is Rabbi Gamliel crying now? Just because he heard some cries from somebody else who's going through something terrible? All of a sudden, Rabbi Gamliel cries, and he cries not only stam for the woman, he cries for the Chorban Beis Amigdosh, the Nizke Chorban Beis Amigdosh. Why are you remembering now the Beis Amigdosh? And he was crying together with her. What does that mean? She was crying about her son. He was crying about the Chorban Beis Amigdosh. What's the pshat in the medrash? Vahoya boycha ima. They weren't crying for the same thing, but apparently they were. Over the years, after the Holocaust, many, many individuals approached some of our Gedoli Yisrael, asking the following shaila. Shouldn't we establish a day specifically of mourning for what happened in the Holocaust? What happened with the greatest destruction of all time? 
from all of history. So the most terrible, despicable act that happened. Why don't we remember it? Why isn't there a day that we should set in the calendar? A day of remembering the Holocaust or remembering the individuals who died al-Kiddush Hashem. Why don't we do something like that? And the answer from all the G'dayli you saw was always the same. We have that day. That day is called Tishabav. The day of Tishabav is specifically for that also. And the question we ask is why? What is it? Because we're crying anyway? So we should just add a few Mutsaras of Klal Yisrael at the same time? We're sitting on the floor, we're mourning the base of Midrash. Let's hop around a few other Tsaras that happened in Klal Yisrael. What does that mean? That on Tishabav it's also the day that we remember the Khorban of what happened in Europe, what happened by the Holocaust. And the truth is it goes much earlier. Tomorrow morning, when we say some of the kinnas, if we actually understand a few of the words that we're saying. So if you look, for example, in Kinnah, Chof Aleph, Arze Halavonoin, one of the most descriptive kinnas that we have, one of the saddest ones, that talks about the Asura Rugei Malchus. We're talking about the Yidin of the highest caliber, the biggest tzaddikim, and how they were killed in such a terrible way. What's that got to do with Tishabav? Why are we saying this on Tishabav? As we know, some of them died, Bishas Korban, Bayashani, some died many years afterwards. So why on Tishabav are we sitting on the floor saying a kinna about something that didn't happen on Tishabav? So Rabbi Rochem in his beautiful Sefer, Yerich Amoedim, brings down many answers to this. And one of them is as follows. He brings the Mishnah's Rabbaran, Rabbaran, that says that every single thing that happened to Klal Yisrael, every Tzorah that ever took place in the history of the world, has one source. And that source is the Chorban Beis HaMikdash. When there is any Tzorah that we're looking at, when there's any situation that's a Gefer HaMatzav, whenever Klal Yisrael wanted distress, whenever Klal Yisrael were in bad situations, where's the Makar, where's the source, where's the root? The root is Tishabav. Because the root is the Chorban Beis HaMikdash. That's where everything began. That's when everything changed. During the time that we had the Beis HaMikdash, we were Zaycha. So such incredible Gilea Shechina, such Kedusha, such Hashgach of the Rabbeinu Shalolam. Because I'll tell us that the spiritual level of Klarisol at the time of the Beis HaMikdash was such that every Yid has such emunah in the Rabbeinu Shalolam. Do you know what that is? That every Yid has the emunah clear, crystal clear. That's the Melech, Malchem, Amlochem, HaKadosh Baruch, when everything's Mashkoch, HaProtest, there was never a Suffolk. you know what that is? That's what Klarisol were holding. There was no worries about Parnassah. Nobody was worrying about what's going to be, what's going to happen. Everything was clear. Everything was gewaldic. The gates of Tefillah were wide open. You could just daven the Clarkite of having Naveen. It was incredible. The Yidin were some of the most honorable people amongst the world. The Goyim looked up to the Yidin. The very flower, Chazal tell us, that they possessed was so fine, was so soft, was so rich, that it was almost like it was kneaded with oil and honey inside. It was so beautiful, the paris that they had. It was a certain clarity. 
There was a certain clarity in life. Life was perfect. Life was, life was gewaltig. And then came the Chorban. Explains the Maral in Gorarie. The Maral says, what's the Loshan of Chorban? It's the Loshan of Cherev. A Cherev is a sword. A sword severs, disconnects, distances. That's what a sword does, says the Maral. That's why we use the Loshan of Chorban Beisamikdosh. The Loshan Cherev. That it's a sword that it disconnected ourselves, our people, our heart, our neshama to the source. And that's the, that's the distress. That's the makar. After the Chorban, everything changed. And oh, oh boy, how did it change? We look at the world that we're living in. Even then, Bishas Chorban Abayas, Emuna was difficult. There weren't so many people that had claw Emuna. Parnosa was something that people worried about. Chazal told us that the taste and the richness of the fruit was even affected. Our enemies had the ability to touch us and they took every advantage of that ability. Every tzara that we encounter in this world after Chorban Beis HaMikdash, the source goes back to Chorban Beis HaMikdash. That's where it goes to. So therefore, Asara Ruge Malchus the loss of the greatness of some of our greatest people. Imagine Rabbi Akiva, the Heilige Rabbi Akiva, that they took a comb of metal and they ripped out the skin, they peeled off the skin piece by piece. And, and, and people had to watch that, to see someone like Rabbi Akiva on such a level, to receive such a punishment. But that's from the Chorban. And that's what happened, Bishas HaChorban. In Kinnig at Zion, that we'll be saying tomorrow, we describe more of what happened Bishas the Chorban. At the time of the Chorban, how mothers were so starving, they were so hungry that they ate their own children. That mothers were so desperate for food that they took a pot and they took their own child and put the child in the pot and cooked the child. Chazal described it to us with a description that's unimaginable. How does a mother... How does a parent that loves their child, and we all love our children, we take our children, we give them a hug, we love our children, but yet Bishasta Khurban, they took their own children and they cooked them and they ate them. Chazal tell us the babies were so starving, they were so thirsty, that their, their tongues push it stuck to the palate. There, there was nothing, it was, it was impossible. Life was gefelach. That was Bishasta Khurban. But what's the source? The source is the Chorban. We go back to the Chorban Beis Amidosh because that's when everything changed. Fast forward a few years. June the 30th, 1680. At the marriage of King Charles II of Spain with his French bride. There were tremendous amounts of festivities that were taking place at the time of that marriage. And they brought, as one of the events of the wedding, they brought some of the victims of the Spanish Inquisition. There was a 17-year-old girl amongst them. There were altogether 18 Moranos that were condemned to die for the simple reason that they were just Jewish. That was it. There was a 17-year-old girl also amongst them. And as per their custom at the time, they would make a parade through the main city road, and all of the commoners and all of the people would gather, cheering and smiling, happiness, waiting to see the event unfold. 
And they enter the main square of the town. There's hundreds of chairs lined out, waiting for everybody to sit down. The thrones for the king and the queen, the newly married king and queen are there. And everybody takes their seats. And these 18 poor victims of the Spanish Inquisition, who are about to leave this world, were placed in their place specifically with wood surrounding them, tied up. And this 17-year-old Jewish girl screamed out. And she said, Dear Queen, how can you, re- how can you ask me to renounce the faith that I grew up with? What do you want from me? And everyone that was there said that her screams, her piercings, could have pierced right through a heart of stone. But the king and the queen, smiling happily, sitting on their thrones, waiting for the event to to start, took no notice. King Charles II took the stick that lit it on fire for him, and he started the proceedings by lighting person after person, and they burned to death, and eventually were reduced to ashes. That's the Khorban. That comes from Khorban Beis Hamikdash. That's the Bukhar. That's the source. Fast forward a few more years. When our grandparents experienced the Holocaust itself, anything we say the Holocaust will never, ever do justice to what actually happened and what they experienced. But after taking many groups there, over the last few years, and then someone asked me, like, is it not getting dull? You've gone there a few times already, you've said the same things, you've seen the same places, and the answer is no. You always learn more, you always get more of a feeling, the feeling is always there. A Yid called Yidl Wallace was brought to Auschwitz, surrounded by his mishpacha years after the war. They wanted to take him, they wanted to hear from him, they wanted to experience a little bit of what he experienced. He refused to enter the gates of Auschwitz. He went to Fatechayim, he went to ghettos, he went to all of the places and he spoke about the history of each place without any problem. He brought him back to Auschwitz. Okay, maybe now you'll go in. He looked through the gate, through the barbed wire, and he said, I prepared the very tracks that brought me here. I refused to enter. And the few things that he said was the smell The smell, the stench of burning flesh was something that was so constant. You could taste it almost. Your brothers and your sisters being killed, burning to nothing, to ashes, the screaming, the horrific screaming, the crying of parents being separated from their dead children. Bodies scattered all over the floor in piles, some of them even moving at the bottom of the pile. Your bodies on the barbed wire, people that just couldn't take life anymore and just wanted it to be over, so ran over to the electric fences to be killed on the spot. The horrific screams of a parent when they finally manage to see one of their children after being separated and the child runs toward their parent waiting to get that embrace only to get a bullet right through their head. From a Nazi maximum. The sight, he said, was so terrible. The hangings, the endless hunger, the walks, the roll 
the collection outside standing for hours and hours in the snow and the heat. It, 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 you just cannot describe it. He said, I can't go in. He said, you couldn't even afford to close your eyes if you wanted to live. He said, today you see grass on the floor. There was no grass. If there was, would have been grass that would have been eaten up in seconds by people who were desperate. Choban Beis Amikdash. That's the Makar. Rabbi Shmuel famously said on Misa about a mother that heard that two of her children had been placed on the train to Tublinka. That train was going to take all the young children and they were going to be put to death immediately upon arriving at Shablinka. And she heard about it. She ran over to the train. She saw them. They hadn't closed the doors yet. She had some money and she bribed one of the guards over there. Please, let me take down my children. And she had some valuables that she'd hidden away specifically for this purpose. She gave them to the guard. She said, please, I want my children. Give me my children. Now you could just imagine for a moment, not that we can, but we should. Those of us that are parents, that have children, the longing that we have for our children, and if they've been separated, how desperate we are to find them, and how worried we are about them all the time. Can you imagine a mother that sees her two children on the train that's going to take them to their death? And she's finally managed to produce enough that will allow the guard, hopefully, to agree to get the children out. And the guard says, you can take one child. So she just doesn't even think. She just takes one of the children and she starts putting him on his shoulder to take him away. And the other child's like, Mommy, why did you choose him? Why are you leaving me? So she puts down that child to take the other one and he's like, why are you, why are you leaving me? She didn't know what to do. She didn't know where to turn. She left both of them on the train. And she left numb. She didn't know what to do. Didn't know where to turn. What type of life is that? Khurban Mesa Mikdash. The Makar for all of this is the Khurban. And then we turn to now. To the years that we're living, the years that we're seeing, the world that we're seeing. With so much sorrows. So much sorrows that Yidin are going through. Sorrows in Shalom Bayis, marriages that are just crumbling. Health problems, people with real, real health problems, with nowhere to turn. Children that are so disconnected to their parents, to their Messiah, no shaykhs to Yiddishkeit. I can't tell you how many times I've spoken in different places that I've spoken in America to parents that have children that don't even know which country their child is in. They don't even know what he looks like now. With the piercings, with the tattoos, whatever it may be. The pain, the pain of a parent is unimaginable. The tsaurus that people are going through. We're living in a country where the Yidden are fighting against Yidden. Everything's a fight. You look at today, you look at what's going on, you look at the tsaurus, and you think, why? What's going on? What's the purpose of all this? And the answer is, Every tsara, every single small tsara, big and small, the makara, the source, is Chorban Beis HaMikdash. So today, as we mourn the Chorban Beis HaMikdash, and every single event that ever happened to Klal Yisrael since then, is included in Chorban Beis HaMikdash. Maybe now, 
we can understand the Medrash. When the Medrash told us that Rabbi Gamliel heard the cries of that woman, that she was crying, that she lost her child, and he started to cry because he remembered the Chorban Beis HaMikdash. He remembered where everything came from. He remembered the source of everything. Why is it happening? Why is she crying? Why is she suffering? It's because of the Chorban Beis HaMikdash. And that's the Ima. What's Ima? Ima with her? Of course it was with her. Yes, she was crying about her son, and he, and he was crying about the Chorban Beis HaMikdash, but Ima means with her because it was all the same thing. It's all the same source. And maybe now we can understand the notion of the Kinnah that we started with. Every year, a new misbeid. What's a misbeid? Because now, that Hurban Beis Hamikdash is not just what happened years and years ago. That we're not even expected to mourn. We're not even expected to understand or have any feeling for. But now that we know that every tzara that has ever affected anyone since then until today is because of the Hurban Beis Hamikdash. Then there's what to mourn. And then we have a real reason to cry today. We have a real reason to cry today. Rabbi Gamliel understood that a personal sorrow stems from the Chorban Beis HaMikdash. And every year there's new tzoros. Every year there's new problems. All from the Chorban. And that's the misbeit Chodesh that we have every single year. Just alone in Eretz Yisrael over the last Less than a year. The terrorist attacks that have gone on. How innocent people. How men, women and children. How you can have children who are crushed to death in front of their own parents. In a terrorist attack in Ramat. Or seven Yidin that are killed after Shabbos diving on a Friday night in a, in a vehicle. And the list goes on and on and on. Unfortunately, the Tzoros. The tzoros that we feel that every child, every mother, every father, every brother, every sister, every ch- everyone, that they thought they're going to come home. They thought, of course, my husband went to shoot, he's going to come home. My child left the car, he's going to come back. But they never came back. They never saw them again. They never had a chance to say goodbye. Where's the Makar? That's where everything comes from. So what are we meant to do? So what are we meant to do? That's it, we should give up. It's over. We lost. There's nothing that we can do about this. We should just cry and cry and cry and hope for the best that we won't have to experience any of the Torahs. We should give up. The Rashford didn't bring Mashiach. The Balshem of HaKadosh didn't bring Mashiach. The Vilna Goyim didn't bring Mashiach. The Chassam Soifer of Kiveiga, the Chassam Soifer, the Chobetz Chaim. None of them brought Mashiach. We're going to do this? What are, what are we going to do? What is our purpose? What are we doing today on Tisha there was a Yid called Simon Wiesenthal. He was a famous Nazi hunter. He used to hunt out the Nazis. And he once spoke at a conference of European Rabbonim in Slovakia. And they presented the 91-year-old man with an award for finding so many of the Rishoyim out there. And he told over the following story. He said, shortly after liberation... We were visited by one of the big Rabbonim, big tzaddik, Rabbi Lezer Silva. He was the head of the Agudas Rabbonim, and uh, he was trying to help out the Jewish soldiers, prisoners, after liberation. They were trying to get them back on their feet, back to health. 
And they invited this Simon, talking about himself, together with a few others, to come to a davening. No, let's go let's daven together. A bunch of people went out. Simon said, I refused. I didn't follow him. I'm not, I'm not following him. And he asked him why. Rabbi Silva said to him, why? What's the chat? What's the matter? He said, I'll tell you. I was in the camp. There was another religious fellow in the camp who's managed to smuggle in a seder. Now, that was no easy thing to do. He risked his life to be able to smuggle in a seder. And I admired that man. Wow, that's what he has for a seder. I was supposed to be a religious man also. I don't know if I would have done the same thing. He risked his life to bring a seder into the camp. Do you know what that means? It's punishable by death in, in, in an instant. I was so proud. I said, wow, that's amazing. But then the next day, I noticed that he was renting out this seder to other prisoners for their very last piece of bread. And I said, that's what it's all about? These are from Jews? I want nothing to do with them. I want to have no connection if they are taking people's last bread in this world. Just to use the seder for a few minutes, that's ridiculous. He said, that's it. I lost my religion. It's over. I'm not coming to Dava. As he walked away, the Beleza Silva said to him the following comment. He said, why did you look at the one who had the siddah taking the bread from others? Why did you not look at all the many people who gave up their bread just to hold a siddah for a few moments? When you hear a story of that, when you hear a story of how a yid can be in such a position to smuggle in a siddah, to help other people, or yidn, to give over their last piece of bread just to have a siddah. You look at the strength of Klalisol. And you look what Klalisol did even in those moments. Even with all of those difficulties. Then you understand what a Klalisol we are. Viktor Frankl famously said that man is the same creation who invented the gas chamber in Auschwitz, but also that creation walked upright into the gas chambers with Shema Yisrael Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad on their lips. Yes, we've had Tzoros. We've had so much Tzoros. We've had Tzoros that we can't even count, that we don't even understand. But the Klalisol we're looking at, and the Klalisol that we are today, is a result of the Yidden that stood up, and the Yidden that endured, that managed, that coped, that survived, that did what they had to do for the Rabbani Shalom. When a boy calls me up on a Motzah Shabbos, and he says to me, Rebbe, I have to tell you this Shabbos was the hardest Shabbos of my life. And I say, why? I said, I battled all Shabbos. Phone, e-cigarette, yes, no, should I, should I not? I battled and I were one. I didn't touch anything. I kept Shabbos for the very first time. When I heard that, I said, that is the most incredible thing. The Rabboni Shalom has nachas that we cannot even imagine. That's the Yisrael that we are. When a woman who recently sent me an email after losing her husband, and she's alone, said to me, that I feel that with all of the tsaris and all of the pain, and it's very painful, I feel that the Rabbeinu Shalom is holding my hand. I feel like I'm being held by the Rabbeinu Shalom all the time. When you hear a story like that, that's Amistika power. That's Klal Yisrael. When a mother who loses children at a terrorist attack can have the koyach to stand up and say it was for a purpose. There's a Rabbeinu Shalom we trust. Yes, it's difficult. It's hard. It's painful. 
But there's a purpose, there's a shkacha protest, there's a rabbinic shalom in the world. When you hear Yidin that are able to go through such sorrows, and yet they can still stand up and open up a siddha, and say, Rabbi Shalom, I love you. I just want to come close to you. I want to keep Shabbos and I want to have a moon and I want to do everything that you want. With all of the sorrows. Then you realize this is the Kaliasol that we are. This is who we are. This is what made us who we are today. When a boy calls me and says to me, I had the opportunity to have an open internet with no filter whatsoever, but I stopped myself. I didn't look at anything. That is the greatest koyach in the world. That's giving the rabbi shloim the greatest nachas of a yid that has the opportunity to do and he doesn't. That's the koyach of a klal Yisrael. That's who we are. After one of our yeshiva trips to Poland just this year, I asked the boys at the end of the trip to, sh- to share some of their feelings. Let me hear some of what they went through. Let me hear some of their... What was going on in their heads? What were their feelings? What's their takeaway from the trip? And all the boys spoke beautifully. But one speech, one speech is clear in my mind from a boy doesn't really come from a yeshivish background, wasn't learning in yeshiva before he came. And he said the following. This was in front of everyone. It was recorded. He said, you know, before this trip, I wasn't proud to be a yid. I had nothing to be proud about. What's so proud? What's so good about being a yid? And then, I saw in the camps, I heard the stories about Yidin that were my son Nefesh not to eat Chomets on Pesach. Yidin that were my son Nefesh to try and like Hanukkah left. Yidin that were my son Nefesh to keep Shabbos. When I understood that, when I saw that, this is Yidin, this is Kalari Yisrael, this is Yiddish guy that said, I'm one of them. I'm proud to be a Yid. I'm proud to be one of them. That's Kalari Yisrael. That's who we are. That gives us the Koyach with all of the Torahs. Well, the time famously said that right before Mashiach, the Rabbani Shalom is going to hang the world in a string and it's going to be shaking and always it's shaking. But if you hold on tight, and you hold on to your emunah, and you hold on to what it means to be a yid, then everything changes. And you'll make it to the end. Ratzvi Hirsch Meisels, one of the Rabbonim, pre-war, Goim, a tzaddik, a paisik, he was in the camps. A yid came over to him with the following shayla. And it was normal. Eden came over to him with all sorts of shyness. This was today's shyness. My son, he said, he told the Rav, has been taken into one of the buildings, one of the blocks that was notorious. Everybody knew that block. The next stop is the gas chamber. My son, he said, is in there. It's the point of no return. But he said, I managed to accumulate enough money to bribe one of the guards outside the block to let my child out. Mr. Rolfson, that's gewaldic, that's beautiful. Koch nefesh, wow, you're saving a Jewish soul and it's your son, wow. He says, hold on a minute. There has to be a specific number of children in every block. So if they take my son out, they will bring another child in. Am I allowed to take out my son? I am allowed, am I allowed to take out my son if I know that somebody else's child is going to be placed in there that will die? And the Tzvi HaShmeizels was lost in thought. I said, I can't answer such a shayla. 
How can I answer such a shayla? You need a basin of 72. This is dealing of fossils. I need svarim. I, I can't answer. So he said, the Rav's telling me it's Asa. He said, no, I didn't say it's Asa. I just said, I don't know. No, the Rav is saying he doesn't know. That means it's Asa. I'm not doing it. Can you imagine? A father has the opportunity to save his son. And he doesn't. Not because it's Asa. He doesn't even know it's Asa. But the Rav didn't know. I'm not doing it. Strength of character. That man, that Yid, it was recorded, it was Rosh Hashanah, was walking around the whole day saying, Rabbi Shalaylam, it's Rosh Hashanah, Kedas Yitzchak, Shofar Shalayil. Avram Avinu tried to offer up one of his children. I offered up my only child. Strength of character. That's Yiddishkeit. That's who we are. That's the Koya that we have. There's no limit. To how much we can use our koyachas. To how much we can use the strengths that have been imbued within us from previous generations, from all of that sorrows, from the sorrows that they had, that they still had a moon and the rabbi shalom, crystal clear. There was no shayla, there was no suffering, there was no maybe. A shayla is a shayla, a rob, paskansy paskans. The Torah is Gedorim, the mitzvahs, everything is clear. There's no maybe impossible, and it's difficult, what can I do? What do you want from me? It's hard, I don't feel it, it's not for me, whatever. No, it was Amos Teke Yiddishkeit. That's within us. It's not them, it's us. Because every single one of us have it within, within us. Rabbi Beryl Wine says over that in 1946, he was an 11-year-old child, and they were told... That the Rav, Rabbi Yitzhak Herzog, was coming to Chicago. All of the Rabbonim of Chicago gathered together to hear the words of Rabbi Yitzhak Herzog. The shore was packed. Men, women, and children, everyone was there. The Rav came in, everybody stood up, there was silence. He spoke for 45 minutes in Yiddish. And then, after the 45-minute Yiddish drasha, he turned to the young children. The young Bachrim. And he started in English. And he said the following. He said, I had just returned from Rome. I'd been in Rome to visit the Pope. I had taken a list with me of 10,000 Yiddish children that were hidden in Christian homes and Catholic homes during the war. The parents who had no choice and saw the only way of survival for their children is to be able to take them into Goyesha homes and hope for the best they'll survive. There's a list of names of 10,000 of these kids that were placed in these Goyesha homes. He went to the Pope and he demanded, I want them back. And the Pope said, absolutely not. Once they've been baptized, it's all over. They're not coming out of this religion. They're ours now. You can't have even one of them. And he begged and he cried, nothing. They're lost. Rubitzak Herzog was overcome with an emotion. He was overcome with emotion. The, the shul was silent. He put his head down on the stender and he started to cry and cry and cry. The place was quiet. The only thing you could hear in the shul was his crying. And he got up. He put his head up and he said, and Rabbi Weiner was there, 11 year old child, said he never for the rest of his life forgot it. It was the most frightening sight, frightening place that he'd ever been to, that he ever experienced in his life. He raised his head, he looked around, and he said, I cannot do anything for those 10,000 children. I tried, but I can't. They're lost. But what are you going to do? 
What are you going to do to go and build back Klal Yisrael? And we have to ask ourselves that very question today. What are we doing? Yes, tremendous service, terrible service. And they're still going on at different levels. But what are we doing for our connection to the Rabbi Nishalaylam? Our connection to Yiddishkeit. As a Pasuk we just read, we just heard an Eicha, Perik Aleph, Pasuk Gimel. Kolroit Feo Sigua, Beina Mitzorim Poshibshat means that anyone that pursues Klalisrol and seeks to harm them will find themselves open to attack. That's the Poshibshat. Rab Tzadika Koyin brings another Pshat from the Measures of Magid and he says as follows. Anybody that runs after the Rabbeinu Shalom, who pursues Hashem, he wants to come closer Be'emeth, to the Rabbeinu Shalom. He Sigua will be able to reach him. When? Be'na Mitzorim. Right now. It's this time. Tishabav, Tavshanai and Gimel. That we can do this. That we can do this. That we can reach the Rabbeinu Shalom. That we can reconnect to that which was lost by so many people. The Rabbi Nishalim, we don't even realize this, he wants our tefillers. He wants our tefillin and our tzitzis and our negelvasa. He wants our berchus And he wants every bracha and anything that we can do to have any shaykhs to him. He's desperate, he's waiting for it, he's wanting it. We also have to. And as we sit on the floor, on Tisha and he remembers some of the tragedies that happened from the time of the Chorban Beis Amigdash until today. A yid has never had as much value in the Rabbi Shalom's eyes as today, as who we are and who we represent and where we come from. The koyach, the strength that we have within us is unimaginable. There's no end. There's no boundary. But we're missing something. Just like a few years ago, there was a family in lost one of their children Son, within a few months, one of the daughters was a color. And there was a lot of simcha in the home. They planned the chasm. The chasm was gorgeous. The flowers, everyone was dressed white. It was just a nice event. It was just beautiful. There was so much simcha, but there was something missing. One of their children. And it just didn't feel the same. It looked the same, but it didn't feel the same. That's where we're holding. That's what we're meant to be thinking about at these moments. Yeah, everything looks great. And there's Gabaldi Torah and Chesed, and there's so much Yiddishkeit and people being Chayzer and there's so much going on, it's Takatru. There's so much Torah, there's so much Chesed, there's so much going on, and the Rabbanishim sees that. But there's something missing, and we have to feel it. And if we don't feel it the whole year, let's at least feel it tonight. Let's feel it tomorrow in the next 24 hours. We're missing the Shechina. There's something missing, it's like that Chasna that they're missing. Yes, it's a Gabaldi Gesimcha, they're marrying off a daughter, beautiful, but where's the son? He should have been dancing with us. Where's the Shechina? Where's the Beis Hamikdash? Where's the Kedusha? Where's the clarity? Where's the Amuna? Where's everything that went together with the Beis Hamikdash? If we can shed just one tear, if we can shed just one tear, that tear is going to go up to Kisai Kovoit, straight through the gates, and be Ma'ayra Rachamim to Avinu and that will bring the Geula Shlema. And I end with this. The lady called Eva, she lived in Poland, in the same city that Ramea Shapiro was the Rav. Hundreds and hundreds would come 
to watch the Rav, to be with the Rav, to listen to the Rav's droshes, Ramea Shapiro. And every Friday night, this young girl, four or five years old, would accompany her father to shul. And it was her excitement of the week, her highlight of the week to accompany her father to shul. Her father would go into shul, she would stay outside playing in the park with some of her friends. But she waited for this time, not just to play with her friends, but to accompany her father home from shul at the end. It was her personal time with her father. And every Friday night, the scene would replay exactly the same. Her father would exit the shul. She would run over. She would tug. She was a little girl, three, four years old. She would tug at his kapota. And she would say, Tati, Tati, can we go home now? And he would say, sure. And off they went, holding hands, walking home. It was her pleasure of the week. One Friday night, just as the script says, the same thing. She runs over to the shul door. She sees her father. She tugs at the kapata. And she says, Tati, Tati, can we go home now? And she waits for the hand to be outstretched. But the hand doesn't get outstretched. There is no hand. And she looks up. And in horror, she sees it's not her father. It was the rog, Ramea Shapiro. I remember Ramea Shapiro was never Zohar to have his own children. He was never Zohar to have his own children. And she looked up and she couldn't believe it. He looked similar, yes, the structure and the kapata and the beard, everything looked very, very similar. She couldn't believe in the realization. She was horrified that she had mixed up and she had mistaken the identity. Ramea Shapiro looked down at her. At this girl, remember, no children. And that's what made it so much, much more meaningful, she said. When he said, Tyre Yiddish dear Jewish daughter, both you and I have a tata in Himmel. And he cherishes nothing more than when we ask, Tati, Tati, can we go home together? And he smiled. He let out a little kracht soy. And he left. This encounter remained with this woman for the rest of her life through Treblinka, and eventually to Eretz Rome, when she always reminded herself, her children, and her grandchildren. Something that we have to remind ourselves at this very moment, at this very day of Tisha B'Av. Tati, can we come home? We want to go home to the Beis HaMikdash. We want to bring the Beis HaMikdash to the Gila HaShchena. We just want to be home. Rabbi Shalaila, we just want to be home. Die, it's enough Tzoros. Our waiting, our wanting. Tati, we just want to come home.